may be seated, turn with me one last time to Philippians chapter 4. We'll be in verses 21 through 23 this morning as we conclude our sermon series in the book of Philippians. On January the 8th, we begin what today we conclude, preaching through Paul's letter to the Philippians. We've given our time and attention to this book on 27 Sundays since January the 8th. We've had some interruptions along the way and uh, interruptions where the Lord took us to other texts on other occasions, but over 27 different Sundays we've worked our way through this tremendous, tremendous book. Paul began a church somewhere around A.D. 50. It was founded when Paul and Silas and Timothy and others went to a river in the Macedonian region of Philippi. And there they found a a lady alone named Lydia. And they shared the gospel with her. They told her of Jesus Christ. They told her the bad news that she was a sinner. And they told her the good news that Christ is a forgiver. And on that occasion, at some point, Lydia believed in Jesus Christ and became the first member of a church in Philippi. Paul and Silas and his team went around that community and uh, they encountered a, a lady that was a diviner. They could tell fortunes and, and uh, Paul rebuked her and she lost her abilities. And her owners, who were using her to make money off of this trick protested and had the authorities arrest Paul and Silas and throw them into prison. While in prison, Paul didn't argue or grumble or dispute. He and Silas, the Scriptures tell us, prayed and sang hymns to God. And we're told that around midnight, God struck the Philippian region with an earthquake. And the doors of that prison flew open. And the jailer discovering what had happened, was just about to kill himself because if a jailer is found to be negligent to the point that prisoners would escape, they will pay for that with their own lives. And as he was about to take his own life, Paul calls out from the dark, Stop! We're here! Shares the gospel with him. And this text tells us that the Philippian jailer and his household accept Jesus Christ and they're baptized immediately, signifying their identity in his death, burial, and resurrection. And this little church in Philippi is growing. Well, Paul left this church to go to other places, to plant other churches, and to do other missionary work, and to revisit churches that he had already planted. And as best we can tell from the timeline in the book of Acts and his other letters, it's likely Paul was gone from the Philippian church for about 10 years. It's hard to pinpoint, but probably a decade has passed from the time that Paul planted this church to the time that Paul writes this letter to the church. But through those 10 years, we get evidence from this letter that the Philippians were faithful in their partnership with Paul. Year after year. We know that there was a season where they didn't have the opportunity to fund his ministry. But it wasn't out of neglect. It wasn't out of a lack of care. Maybe they didn't have the ability. Maybe they didn't have the know-how. Maybe they didn't even know where Paul was. But then that is rekindled. And we have a church that has been faithful to Paul 
from its inception and through some 10 year period of time. We see here in this book of Philippians a church that knew how to love Paul. And as we read this letter, we understand that Paul knew how to love this church. It's a great letter. Paul loved the Galatian church in a different way. He loved the Corinthian church in a different way. He loved those churches with a two before. But he loved this church with a pen and a heart that just rejoiced over and over again of how Christ had built them up and kept them faithful. I've asked the last two Sundays, could this letter be written to us? (laughs) Are we a church worthy to receive these four chapters from someone one day? And we need to strive to be that. I want you to look with me at 21 through 23 because we get a closing here and the closing sounds a lot like the opening and there's some things here that uh, might not seem evident to you at first, but there is a lot of weight in these final verses. We run all the way through the finish line when we preach books of the Bible and there is, there is a lot to glean from these few verses. Paul writes, as the Holy Spirit carried him along, this. He says, greet every saint In Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. There's a consistent word here in these verses. It's used three times. It's the word greet. This is a very strong word in Greek. Espatsomai is how it's pronounced in Greek. It's a a word of strong, interpersonal, genuine, deep affection. It's not just howdy. It's not hello. It's something more than that. It's an earnest, heartfelt greeting. It shows great care and concern. It's very personal. It was intended to encourage them and to strengthen them. We don't need to just read it as greet. There's so much more behind that word. You know, it was hard to live as a Christian in AD 59, which is when this letter was written. Very hard to live in a world, especially a world ruled by Rome and Caesar. And so such a greeting from Paul was meant to cheer and to strengthen and encourage them. You know, it's getting hard today to live as a Christian in this world. Tragically, it's been real easy. Especially in America since World War II in the 1950s and 60s and 70s. Real easy to live as a Christian. And in that ease, the church has gone complacent. And now we wake up and this is a really hard place to live as a Christian. We need a greeting from the Scriptures like this. We need to be encouraged and emboldened to live in the midst of turmoil and persecution. As Paul writes such a greeting, greet every saint. On four other occasions, he wrote 13 of these books in the Bible. On four other letters, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, and... uh, First Thessalonians, he follows this greet the saints with the phrase, with a holy kiss. I'm not proposing that we start that here today in 2017, but this was the customary cultural way 
for men and women to greet men and women. And this was a, a way of showing strong, deep greetings and Christian affections. Today, we hug. I mean, our men and our men's ministry, we hug one another, don't we? We shake hands genuinely and look each other in the eye and say, God bless you. That's what's going on here. So Paul is very intent on not just saying howdy, but greeting for the purpose of emboldening and strengthening and encouraging the saints. There are three groups that Paul issues greetings to the Philippians from. And each one of them deserves a little bit of study. We've got the greetings of Paul. We've got the greetings of the brothers. And we've got the greetings of all the saints in Rome. Let's look at these three groups that extend greetings to the Philippian church. Paul says first in verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. He ends his letter the same way he starts it. If you look over at chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, then listen to this, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. And here he closes with, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. So he took this plane off with a greeting of the saints who are saints in Christ Jesus. And he's going to land this airplane with the same kind of greeting. Who are the saints? What does this term saint mean? That's a word that's worth knowing about as a Christian. This is not to be confused with the Roman Catholic use of the term saint. In fact, I think the Roman Catholic Church has hijacked this term and taken it places that it does not belong so that Protestants like us refrain from using the term sometimes. It's a very biblical term. Saints are not people that the Pope declares to be venerated or canonized. No man declares someone to be a saint. The saints are not people who are memorialized in statues or stained glass windows. The saints are not interceding for people in this supposed place called purgatory that cannot be found in Scripture. The saints are not to be prayed to. We are not to pray to saints asking them to pray to God for us. That's where the Catholic Church has taken this term. I'm not talking about that this morning. I'm talking about biblical saints. Who are these people? Or do they still exist? Well, saints is best defined as holy ones, people who are set apart from the world. And I want you to note that Paul says here, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. So sainthood stands upon the foundation of Christ Jesus, not a man declaring someone to be saintly. They are holy in Christ because they are in Christ They've been baptized into His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And that baptism is not merely something that happens in some water here, because that's the aftermath of a real baptism that happens in belief. Baptism that comes from a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And saying, I identify with His death and His burial and resurrection. It's pictorially demonstrated afterwards when we have baptism services. But it's something that happens in the moment of belief. We read 1 Peter 2.9. Let me reread that for you. 
Peter says to the Christians who are exiled, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Boy, that's a big word right there. He's saying that to Christians just like you and me, if you're a believer in Christ here this morning. You and I are a royal priesthood. Isn't that interesting? We're a holy nation. We're a people set apart for His own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So this... Peter is writing and saying this nation of people called Christians, they're chosen. They're a chosen race. They're chosen by Christ. They're set apart by Christ. They're a holy nation. They're a royal priesthood because they are in, we are in Him who called us. Christ who called us. So saints are those who are set apart, who are declared holy because they believe in Jesus Christ. It goes like this, 2 Corinthians 5.21, slightly paraphrased. God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. Through Christ, we're righteous, otherwise holy, also known as saints, because Christ took on our sin and purified us by substituting for us. And if we believe in that substitution, we are declared holy and pure. We become saints. And no pope had anything to do with it. The key is the saint's holiness is established in Christ Jesus. It's not established on our good works. We could keep every letter of the law but violate one and be absolutely dirty. Sainthood is not dependent upon your morality. Sainthood is dependent upon your belief in the perfectly moral one whose name is Jesus Christ. He said as he hung from the cross, it is finished. What is finished? Keeping the law is finished. The law has been fulfilled. One man has come. The first Adam didn't get it done. The second Adam did. He fulfilled all of the law as a fully human being. And he can say declaratively from the cross as he dies, It is finished. I have kept the law for all that will believe in me. And if you believe that Jesus kept the law for you, you're a saint. You're holy. And you're pure because of his substitution for you. Christ kept the law Christ is moral par excellence. Do you believe in Him? And if the answer is yes, you're a saint, just like Paul's writing to these Philippians. So there's nothing in and of ourselves that makes us saints, that makes us holy. It's what Christ did. Christ makes us holy. Saints are not to be worshipped. Saints are to be worshipers. And so far this morning, we've carried out our saintly duty quite well. Let's stay with it. Paul says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Every saint. He doesn't just say the saints. Every saint. It's very individual. It's not a group context. It's very personal and very intimate. He has a longing and a care for each individual saint in this church in Philippi. He's not some generic greeter. 
This letter, no doubt, is read by a faithful servant to a congregation, much like we're doing this morning. And every person receives this personal greeting from Paul for the purpose of stoking them up, stirring them up to love and good works. So I just want you to imagine this morning for a moment the Apostle, the Apostle Paul of all people, greeting an individual church so genuinely and all the while confined in a Roman prison. His interests are not his own. His interests are those of the Philippian church. What a good apostle. What a great saint he is. Let's look at the second group. The second group of greetings comes from these guys called the brothers. Verse 22 or 21 at the end there. The brothers who are with me greet you. Who are these brothers? It's a Christian term that's commonly used for fellow believers. We use this term today and it's not thought of as strange. We use brothers and sisters in Christ. I love that that's carried on for 2,000 years. The idea is one of family And Christ established this family concept for us back in Mark chapter 3. He said this, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So when we fellowship in obedience to God through Jesus Christ, we're family. I like it. Josh has used this phrase from the pulpit before, water is thicker than blood. I think that works right here. Baptismal waters identifying us together and gospel partnership is thicker than blood. Because when Jesus said this, his mother and brothers were saying, hey, come here, Jesus, you need to you need to shut your mouth and come out. You're talking crazy. And they say, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. And he said, who are my mother and brothers? It's those who do. The will of God. They are my mother and brothers. So Paul's with some brothers. Some family members. And he's saying they bring greetings. So specifically, who might these brothers be? Who is Paul referring to? Because the text right here in Philippians is absolutely silent. There's not a single brother named. Just a group. So who might these guys be? Well, if you do a little bit of study, you understand that Paul wrote four letters from his Roman imprisonment. He wrote Philippians in AD 59. In AD 60, he wrote Ephesians, Philemon, and Colossians. So four letters Paul wrote during this Roman confinement in prison. And we call these the prison epistles. And if we go look at these other books, Colossians and Ephesians and Philemon, you get a detailed list of the brothers in those letters. For some reason, Paul landed the the letter in Philippians real abruptly, but in the other letters, he draws it out a little bit and names some of the brothers that greet the churches that he's writing to. And since he wrote Philippians in 59 and the other three in 60, it's pretty safe to assume that these brothers were with him for the duration of his imprisonment. Well, I want to show you some of these brothers. First of all, we can deduce right from Philippians that one of the brothers is Timothy. Because Timothy is named in the opening. And Timothy is named in chapter 2. Somewhere around verses 19 through 24. And so Timothy is a brother. We know he's a a protege of Paul's. He's grooming him. One day he's going to be an, uh, uh, an elder in the church of Ephesus. 
And so Timothy is right there, one of the brothers. We could also say that Epaphroditus is one of them because Epaphroditus is going to be the delivery man of this letter back to them. We also get, if you look over in chapter 1, verse 14, we see that there's some preachers, some preacher brothers. In verse 14, most of the brothers, having become confident of the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul's got some brothers imprisoned or or with him in his imprisonment, and they're watching his imprisonment, and they're emboldened. And they send greetings to the Philippian church. Look in verse 16. They do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So we got Timothy and Epaphroditus and these fellow preachers. We can lift those right out of the book of Philippians and say, there's the brothers. But now if we look outside of this and we look at the other prison letters that Paul wrote in the same time frame, let me just give you a little quick biography on some of the other brothers. One is Tychicus. He is mentioned in Ephesians and Colossians at the close of those two letters. I want you to just hear the character of Tychicus. In Ephesians 6.21, Paul says this, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So Tychicus is a brother of Paul's, sending greetings in in this case to Ephesus, and he's going to go to Ephesus. He's known as a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and he's an encourager of hearts. That's the kind of man that's sending greetings from Paul in a Roman prison to the Philippian church. Another one is Onesimus. Colossians and Philemon name him. The whole book of Philemon is really about Onesimus. Paul says this, I appeal to you, Philemon, for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. When was he imprisoned? In Rome. And so Onesimus is one of those, and he's actually named at the close of Colossians. There's another one named Demas. Colossians and Philemon list him. Listen to Demas. We've got to listen with a different ear on this one. Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10 is, is spoken of like this by Paul. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. 2 Timothy's written probably A.D. 67-68, so seven or eight years after he wrote this letter to the Philippians, or nine years. Demas fell in love with the present world, not the future world. And he deserted Paul in gospel ministry. Don't be Demas. Don't hear this letter of Philippians. We've heard it through Scripture. Holy Spirit is enforced that this is authentically the Word of God. Don't hear this and fall in love with this present world and desert the ministry. Demas was a Judas. Christ had one of these Demas guys in his 12, didn't he? Don't be a Demas. How about these other partners? Colossians and Philemon tell us that there was a man named Mark who was the cousin of Barnabas, who also had the first name of John. Well, that's none other than the man that wrote the gospel of Mark. He was with Paul in a Roman prison, and we believe that Mark wrote the gospel of Mark to Roman Christians. There's another man, Colossians and Philemon, tell us that there was a man named Luke 
with him in prison in Rome. Not imprisoned himself, but ministering to him while he was under arrest. And what did Luke do? Luke did nothing but contribute to us the gospel of Luke and the gospel of Acts. And I think the, the book of Acts is a gospel. It's how the gospel was spread. Wow! we got some firepower in this list of brothers. We've got Timothy and Mark and Luke. We've got a guy named Aristarchus. Colossians and Philemon list him. Listen to Aristarchus. So the city was filled. This is from Acts chapter 19. Luke wrote this. The city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. Macedonia is where Philippi is. And Aristarchus is a companion with Paul and he was imprisoned because of his companionship with Paul, his partnership with Paul in the gospel. Don't you love men like this that are willing to take a stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if it means imprisonment? We've got Epaphras. Colossians and Philemon speak of Epaphras. In Colossians 4.12, Paul writes, Epaphras, who is one of you, so he's a Colossian, is a servant of Jesus Christ. He greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. So Epaphras is a servant of Christ Jesus. He's always struggling on behalf of the Christians in his prayers. And he works hard for the churches. It's just a brief biography of the brothers and who they might have been. And I don't think I'm very far off, even though they're not named here in Philippians. What encouragement that there's such men serving and caring for churches that they're not amongst. What you do imagine these giants of the faith and how they are concerned with this little bitty church in Philippi. You know, we've got this going on in our midst as well. There are many mighty faithful men who serve Jesus Christ in many capacities of ministry that genuinely care about Rocky Point Baptist Church, yet they're not of us. You met one back in February. His name's Bruce Ware. He's prayed faithfully for us since he was here. I want you to know when he was here, he delighted in every experience he had with us. Do you know that he went back and he told a young man named Jeff Dyke, you need to check this place out. They need you. You need them. And there's a partner outside of us that cares for us. There's a man named Joe Kreider that did the same thing. I could go on and on and on listing for you the people that love Rocky Point Baptist Church, yet they're not of us. I want you to be encouraged. We are on the radar screen of faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Which means we need to act like saints. And be emboldened as saints. Because the saints outside of us are with us. There's a third group. Look at Paul in verse 22 of Philippians 4. He says, greetings. He says, verse 22, all the saints greet you. So Paul greets them. Paul greets every saint. The brothers greet them. And now all the saints greet you. These are saints from Paul's ministry. And the brothers 
who were preaching back in chapter 1, these are saints of their congregations, perhaps. These are saints from, from people in earlier times that heard the gospel perhaps at Pentecost and then flew out of there and went back to the region of Italy and Rome and shared the gospel with people. So there's a church in Rome of all places. And let me tell you, it was hard to be a church in Rome if it was hard to be a church anywhere. So all these church members, all these saints who are righteous in Jesus Christ, not in their own flesh, but in the blood and flesh of Jesus Christ, all of these saints greet you, Philippians. Just imagine that. How encouraging must it have been to be a Philippian church hearing that a church in Rome sends greetings. And remember, I've said that word greeting is not just hello. It's encouragement. It has behind it, we're with you, we're praying for you. We intercede for you. These Christians in Rome look to the Philippians with genuine care and concern. Earthly They're earthly strangers, but they're kingdom brothers and sisters. Earthly-wise, they're strangers to one another. They haven't met them likely, yet they greet them so intimately because they say we're of the same kingdom. We're sojourners together. We're elect exiles. We're a chosen people, a, a nation set apart, a royal priesthood together. We greet you. Keep the faith. Stay the course. We're with you. You know, we have this as well as a church. I want you to understand, dear people, we are not alone in our efforts to worship Christ and to share Christ with the lost. We're not isolated. I can name for you churches that care about us. Can I give you Christ Baptist Church in Cold Spring, Kentucky? Do you understand that this morning they're saying goodbye to a young man and woman who have faithfully served them since February? And they are celebrating that Jeff and Alyssa are heading our way this week. They send him with blessings. They're rejoicing that our church is going to receive a fit man for ministry. We've got this. Do you understand what Southside Baptist Church in Abilene, Texas did for us by sharing Tim Bradford for a year? They cared about us. They offered him up. They said, hey, how about this guy? We, we endorsed this man. We had a good one-year run with Tim, didn't we? You know, we can do this too. We need to be like the church in Rome that sends greetings to Philippi. We're doing that. We've we've sent a man out of here named Alan Day. We've sent him to seminary. He was called into ministry in this church. And we care about other churches so much that we encourage him to go and get equipped. We need to pray for him as he does this. Tim Bradford. Hey, Tim Bradford came to us. And in being in our midst, Tim Bradford was called into ministry. Do you understand right now he is leaving the Air Force on October 20 the 2nd. He is retired from the Air Force. What's he doing? He's moving to Louisville, Kentucky. And this spring he's enrolling on campus into Boyce College to get equipped. Because he wants to do what he did with us, but he knew he needed equipping. We're sending people out because we care about other churches. 
we need to be willing to be a church that releases some of us. We need to be unselfish and say, some of us may need to leave to go meet the needs of another church. We need to send our greetings with a shepherd. This is how the church, the global church, lives. We share resources. We encourage one another to be strong in the faith. We intercede for one another. And I've just named a couple of churches here this morning that it's happening with us. We're not an isolated island sitting out here in Texas. Four miles outside of town. We have saints that are deeply concerned with what we're doing. And deeply want to be a part of encouraging us and supplying us so that we can fulfill our mission. These churches, salvation was not private and personal. Their interests were towards Christ and His church. Christ Baptist Church in Kentucky has not been selfish. With Jeff Dyke, Southside Baptist Church was not selfish. May we not be selfish either. It's not about us. It's about Christ and a big church. And we're about sending, we're equipping and sending people out to meet the needs of other churches. We need to get there so that we can send greetings in Christ Jesus to all the saints. Well, in this third group, all the saints greet you. He, he goes one step further and there's a subcategory of all the saints in Rome. Look in verse 22, he says, especially those of Caesar's household. Man, that, that, that's not a little phrase that you need to read over quickly and move on. There is so much going on in that little phrase, especially those of Caesar's household. <laughs> this is huge. Paul can almost be seen smiling here as he writes this. I, I think he wrote this and winked. And by the way, all the saints in Caesar's household too. For you see, Paul is incarcerated in Rome under the edict of Caesar. Caesar had the pleasure of imprisoning Rome. But what we really know the truth to be is, Paul was imprisoned by the pleasures of God. He's not in prison because Caesar had sovereignty. He's in prison in Rome because God had sovereignty. And God said, I need my Paul to suffer for my namesake in prison because I need to save many Romans with my gospel about my son, Jesus Christ. Paul acknowledges this over in verse 12 of chapter 1. He says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. It's not for Caesar. Paul was imprisoned for Christ. It was the pleasure of God to imprison Paul. Because it's the pleasure of God to save many saints. I want you to consider the truth of this Caesar's household. You know who this Caesar is? Caesar, by the way, is a title like we use the title president. There's a lot of Caesars, Caesar Augustus. The Caesar at the moment that Paul's writing this, his name is Nero. This is the most wicked Caesar there ever was. 
Paul wrote this letter in 59 A.D. In 64 A.D., this Nero, Caesar Nero, set Rome ablaze. Seventy percent of Rome burned while he played a fiddle. Legend has it. But we do know that Rome burned, and we do know this. He got a lot of grief because he was accused of setting Rome ablaze. Why? Because he wanted to build his own new buildings and palaces, and he wanted his footprint on Rome. So what did he do to circumvent the pressure that he was feeling for this? He blamed it on the Christians. And a persecution set forth in A.D. 64 of the Roman church that sent greetings to Philippi that you can't imagine. Eusebius documented it well for us. Nero took human beings, Christians, and stuck them in cages way up high on poles and lit them and used them as fuel for his torches in his gardens. Documented history. This is the Caesar's household that Paul says greets the Philippians. This household is designed by Nero to worship Nero. The Caesars were to be worshipped by Roman citizens. And here Paul says the household of Nero does not worship Caesar. They worship Jesus Christ and they send you greetings. What a mighty God. His household is worshiping not him, but Christ. Who is this household? Well, we could go on and on, but this is judges and cooks and tasters who tasted Nero's food before he ate it to make sure it wasn't poisoned, and carpenters and farriers and soldiers, the imperial guard, carpenters, janitors, you name it. Anybody that was under the employment of Caesar Nero, government employees, many of them sent greetings in Christ Jesus to the Philippian church. Mission accomplished. God incarcerated Paul for Christ, chapter 1, verse, uh, chapter one, verse 13. And for Christ, there are now many saints in Rome as a result. Paul was in the midst of this Wicked Roman Empire. And he lived out exactly what he wrote over in chapter 2, verses uh, 14 through 16. Over there he says, Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. And listen to this. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights to the world, holding fast to the word of faith. Paul was in, in, in the most wicked and twisted and corrupted place of his generation. In all the world. And he didn't grumble. He didn't question. He didn't complain. He remained blameless and Christ-focused. And that household became saints who sent greetings to Philippi. Paul is just like Peter and the other apostles over in Acts 17 who were accused of turning the world upside down. <laughs> Paul turned Rome upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, through that testimony, turned Rome upside down. And saved many 
undeserving people. Speaking of undeserving, let's close this with verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the last word that Paul pens. He ends the same letter, the, the, the letter the same way he started. Look at verse 2 of chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. If you read all of Paul's letters, they all start and end with this. He, he wishes them grace and peace from God. He says it's only from God through Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace are gifts from God to undeserving people. That's what grace means. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. We got that, Christians, here this morning. If you're a saint here this morning, you received forgiveness that you didn't deserve. You've got the grace of Jesus Christ. And because of that, you can be at peace with God. And Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you become a saint. You get grace and you live in peace. Now and forevermore. It's grace that saved these Philippians. It's grace that saved Lydia and this jailer. It was the grace of God to cause an earthquake, to cause the doors to open, to have Paul sit there and remain in the dark. That was all grace. Part of God's grace involved an earthquake. So it was grace that saved us. It's grace that keeps us. And that's why Paul writes this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Keep you. The grace that saved you, may it keep you. That's Paul's final words to these Philippians. It's his way of saying, I wish you the absolute best. And that's why I'm writing you this letter. And the absolute best for you is to live in the grace and the peace of God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so with that, Paul rolled up his scroll. Maybe he put a wax seal over it and pressed it to put his mark. I imagine at some point he handed this to Epaphroditus, who tucked it under his arm like a football and started his journey. Back to Macedonia to a little church in Philippi to have this letter read to a lady named Lydia and a jailer and a bunch of other nameless people that we don't know today. So this morning as we hear all of this and we consider the, the greeting and the, the saint and the grace and the peace, we've got to ask ourselves a final question as we leave this letter. a very personal question that you ask to yourself. Am I a saint? I asked it this week many, many times over just as a, as a reference point to evaluate my life. Am I a saint? Do I believe that Jesus Christ died in my place, became sin for me, even though he knew none, so that through that, believing in that, I Get to be the righteousness of God. Do I, do I believe this? Do I believe in a Jesus that died but is no longer dead? And through all that was always perfect. That truly said it is finished and meant it. Do I embrace His substitution for me? 
And man, I concluded every single time, yes. And so I said, I'm a saint. I'm a royal priest. I'm a whole part of a holy nation. Set apart from this world. Do I now go to the next stage? Do I look like I'm set apart from this world? Well, yesterday morning I didn't. I lost my temper yesterday morning and I looked like I was a part of this world. Uttered words in anger. But I caught myself. I said, I'm a saint. Father, through Jesus Christ, forgive me for that and lead me on the way everlasting. And I continue on in sainthood. I still struggle with sin, but I am a saint because I repent. Saints repent. They intercede to God and ask for forgiveness. We did that this morning in congregational prayer. We practiced sainthood when we went before the Lord. We were once a people who worshipped the world, every one of us, from birth. We worshipped the world, we worshipped people. Dare I say we even worship ourselves instead of Christ? That's not a saint. If that defines you this morning, I plead with you to repent of that sin. Bow your knee and your heart. Use your tongue to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I would invite you this morning to profess Him as Lord and Savior. I'd invite you to come down this morning and talk to me about that if you need to. Or find me this week. You've got to become a saint of Jesus Christ's. Christ saved you to set you apart from the world, Christian, to worship the creator of the world. Yet we struggle at times with worshiping the created. So this morning, let's close by evaluating, am I a saint? And if so, I must live up to such a title. Father, use such words to wash us clean from our sinfulness. For the saints in the room, I pray, Father, that you would lead them to repent and keep them in their sainthood. For those that are not yet saints, Father, I pray that you would, you would draw them near to the truth of Jesus Christ and that they would rejoice in embracing him as substitute for them on a cross once and for all. We pray all this in the name of Christ and for the benefit of the saints. Amen. Amen.